two weeks off, not a lot of football to talk about. So, Paul, we need to go in with the hard-hitting questions first. Favourite Easter egg? Uh, it's got to be a Kinder egg. Oh, what? Yeah, love Kinder egg. What, a massive Kinder egg? A massive Kinder egg with a massive toy in it. Wow, what sort of toy would you want inside there? Well, to cope with um, the massive disappointment of basically having a thin egg of about two millimetres length. <laughs> uh, anything will do. I mean, my, my daughter got a, a, a Princess Aurora, which she was really pleased about. I do love Kinder chocolate. Oh, well, I mean, that, that, that's a sidestep. So there we go. I, I'm thrown. I'm not sure if I can do my intro now, but I'll try my best and maintain professionalism. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's Red Voices. Pleasure to have you with us. You've got me, you and Lennox and Himble going to discuss Manchester United's 2-1 win over Brighton and Hove Albion on Sunday evening in amongst some other bits and bobs. But before we get to all that, Paul, how are we doing? I'm very well, thank you, Ewan. Yeah, really good to be back on the pod. It's been a while. It has been a while. Yeah, I'm glad to have you. Well, I think every I speak for everyone when I say I'm glad to have you back. Uh, should we just get straight down to it? Should we yeah, discuss the reason we're all here? The football, Paul. So you we watched it this morning, having uh, done the yeah. wise thing of avoiding Twitter, um, yeah. given the unrest that was developing throughout that 90 minutes. Uh, so it was a 2-1 victory over Brighton last night, which has strengthened our top four hopes and given us a pretty healthy cushion which allows for a couple of mistakes between now and the end of the season with our eight games yeah. left to go how did, how did you view the game as a whole yeah um like, like like you said i didn't check twitter i didn't i, I didn't know the score until because uh, i was trying to i was trying to watch the match without knowing the score you know that old that old trick and it's almost impossible these days but i um <laughs> but my, my brother sent me a screenshot of uh hashtag ollie out trending so I was fully expecting a really dire performance, you know, another home defeat. And actually, when I watched it this morning, I was quite pleasantly surprised. I mean, it wasn't a great game. First half was really poor. Started well, actually. First 10 minutes, we, we looked pretty good. And then uh, Danny Welbeck's goal just <clears throat> seemed to, I don't know, just this kind of torpor just fell over the team for the rest of the first half. Mm. The second half, I thought, yeah, we were a bit pedestrian, a bit predictable, a bit slow. But we slowly but surely over the course of the second half just ramped it up a little bit and we did enough. And at this stage of a really long season, after a, an international break, I thought it was fine. And you know what, Brighton aren't a bad team. I know I know their position in the table would suggest otherwise, but I watched them against City recently at the Etihad and they played really well. They obviously beat Liverpool at Anfield. You know, I think against teams who play football, they're a pretty decent side. I thought it was decent enough second half in particular mm. I mean I think overall the level of performance wasn't necessarily hugely impressive but I think there's an element to say looking at the last chunk of games in this tiring difficult challenging season if United can just get through it then yeah. the level of upset that I'm going to have is going to be pretty measured <laughs> you know exactly. you look at the fact that yeah yeah I mean Leicester Chelsea and Spurs the three teams below us all dropped points over the course of this weekend I mean Leicester playing City obviously had the most difficult assignment something of a shell of a team from the one that beat us in the FA Cup yeah. a couple of weeks back Chelsea yeah. I mean they were <laughs> oh, my good grief. unbelievable I mean, at least, at the very least, we have a team that now can now compete for the most embarrassing result yeah. to West Brom this season, yeah. or the defeat to Sheffield United. At least we didn't get beat 5-2 by West Brom. 5-2, and their defensive record's been brilliant under, under Tuchel, and, and then suddenly to concede five goals against West Brom. Sam mm. Allardyce is West Brom. <laughs> Free-flowing, fantastic attacking force, West Brom. I mean, I, don't even, I didn't watch the game, but I sort of don't need to. It's just, it's hilarious. Absolutely mm. hilarious. 
Yeah, oh dear. And then Spurs dropping points in the most Mourinho Spursy way with a, a late equaliser after sitting back on a one goal lead. I mean, you sure do love to see it, Ewan? Oh, you do, yeah. don't you? And the thing is, we're <laughs> playing them next weekend. And yeah, initially before this weekend, I, I was all I was I was boo booing that trip over to the over to London and. Just imagine, just imagine if we're able oh. to just add our little individual nail into the Mourinho coffin after the way things have gone at the start of the season. Absolutely, and surely the players. I mean, it's a bit, you know, it's an, it's a, it's a bit more of an incentive, isn't it, to, to sort of try and right that wrong a little bit because that was horrific that defeat at Old Trafford, and and it's been a, a stick with which to beat Ole, I think, pretty much all season, really. And so to go there and and Mourinho. You know, he was fairly magnanimous after the match, but really, you know, he must have been absolutely thrilled to go to one of his old clubs and do that to them. So, mm. yeah, it'd be nice to uh, to go and write that. It'd be nice to prod his exit along, put it that way. But regardless, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that in a little while. Oh, what a shambles that's been, by the way. Just just what a shambles that appointment has been for, for Spurs, by the way. Just, oh, just want to throw that in there. It's been, it's been <laughs> lovely to watch. I mean, I've realised that Mourinho gets a lot more chat than any of the... Almost as much as Sir Alex Ferguson in terms of former United managers these days, just because that story yeah. is so fascinating. I do want to come back to that in a little while, but let's focus on what okay. happened last night. So the first 10 minutes, United did seem to come out quite strongly in comparison with the other teams that around us that had dropped points, obviously Bar City, because they were annoyingly good, again, as they always are. Um, United started with a bit of a spring in the step. You know, they were pushing Brighton back quite well. We seemed to be up for it. We were we were getting them on the back foot and not necessarily giving them much time to settle, moving the ball quite well. And then it all fell apart when that guy scores the opening goal. Yeah, um, and to be fair to, to, to Welbeck, it, he took it well. It was poor defending. Pogba, Pogba gave it away. It was, um, yeah. Now, Mike Dean was somewhat in the way of the pass to yeah. Fred, but it was definitely undercooked. And I but think it was a really thing, poor yeah. pass, wasn't it? The problem with that goal in particular was that the ball is given away and United are so slow to get back into their positions and tighten up and mark their men. And it just seemed like we were jogging back into position. And well, the it's amount just that of classic space, first half United, isn't it? It's lethargy an excuse for that sort of goal, though. I mean, it, it was just, again, United just losing concentration at the key moments, isn't it? Losing their man, which we've seen so often over the last season. Yeah, absolutely, and, and but and, and at times over the, the this season, conceding a goal has kind of spurred us into life, and it had the opposite effect really. Um, mm. Last night, it was. Uh, I, I think Henderson made a, a fairly decent save. I don't know how much you knew about it really from the first effort from Welbeck, but then you know to be fair to Welbeck, you know he, he reacted really well and um, and deserved the goal. But yeah, really awful defending, no concentration. Uh, no organisation and just really, really slow to react. Almost complacent, really, as if you're saying they're saying to themselves, "Oh, well, we're giving the ball away, but it's only Brighton; they never score." <laughs> well, I mean, Carl Anker from the Athletic was pointing out that this is something of a pattern emerging when it comes to uh, crosses to the far post from that side because they're targeting Wan Bissaka to a degree. You know, there was this severe game in the in the Europa League last year. And yeah. then the goal in the Champions League against RB Leipzig. I don't know whether it's a instruction to sort of hope that Victor Lindelof is going to get the ball and mop up everything before it comes to him, or whether it's just lack of concentration. But it's a very easy way to exploit United's weakness in that back four. 
you know, Wan-Bissaka has not been good enough in the air, despite how great he is at, you know, recovering tackles and blocks. You know, he's fantastic in that field, but that is something that he definitely has to improve on because it's something that's conceding us some important goals. You know, we did get away with it to a degree because despite, you know, essentially United not creating very much and Brighton having a very good opportunity with Welbeck in the second half, United were able to keep that game at arm's length to a certain degree, but... I think it's just one of those things going forward that the back four, as as we sort of move into the chat about David De Gea and his potential successor, Dean Henderson, and what that sort of back five in totality looks like, it's something that definitely sticks out as an issue that we've seen developing over the last year in particular with Wambasaka and something that, again, as we said, is very easy to exploit. And I guess, you know, that brings into mind the sort of the larger chat with De Gea and Dean Henderson. I want to get your thoughts on this. So, obviously there wasn't necessarily much of a chance to look at Henderson <laughs> yesterday evening. The initial save from Welbeck's uh, header was great. You know, obviously a really great reaction save and there was one yeah. spillage over the course of 90 minutes. But other than that, he didn't have anything to do. I mean, I don't think that really gives us a clearer picture of what Henderson's going to be able to provide United that uh, De Gea can't. I mean, what are your feelings on the this sort of succession plan at the minute? Because there was talk in the mirror that De Gea might be on his way and United might be paying up a large chunk of his contract. It's a really difficult one, this, because I love David De Gea. I, I think most United fans probably do. Since Ferguson retired, he's been, what well, yeah, until the last couple of seasons, he was by, by far and away our best player. Almost single-handedly kept us sort of within reach of the top four. Almost single-handedly kept us within reach of being a serious team. But he, I, I, I felt after the Spurs match that we talked about earlier, the 6-1, I felt that he probably should have been dropped after that, and I said that at the time. Um, and the reason is, he's still a fantastic shot stopper at times, but I just felt that the defence had stopped trusting him. We've seen it before over the years with other goalkeepers, Tim Howard, uh, Mark Bosnich. You know, so all these, 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 these keepers have made mistakes, and then the defence stops trusting them, so the defence drop back a bit, they get a bit panicky on the ball obviously has a knock-on effect on the midfield, which has a knock-on effect on striker, and the whole team suffers. And I felt that because of because there have been so many mistakes from David De Gea in, in such big games and at such, such big moments, um, in you know relatively quick succession, it felt to me like that trust had gone. And look, with Henderson, it's, I think, probably way too early to say really whether he's cut out to be Manchester United's number one. But I think he's done pretty well since he came in um, to replace De Gea recently. I think you know he's got he's had quite a few clean sheets. I think the defense does look a little bit more uh, confident, a little bit more relaxed. Um, it could just be pure coincidence that who knows? Maybe it's you know um, they would have looked the same under De Gea. But I just I, 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 I felt all season really since that six one, and even before that, towards the end of last season. I've felt that there's a lack of trust there and that affects the entire team. So for me, it's with a really heavy heart that I would, I, I think maybe De Gea, I think maybe De Gea needs a change as well. Maybe maybe his best years are behind him. I hate to say that because you never know, but it just feels like there's been too many mistakes now to recover from at this club. So yeah, that's kind of it really. Yeah, I mean, I'm in complete agreement. He has been the best player in the post-Ferguson era. I don't think there's yeah. any real doubt about that, despite the way that things have unraveled slightly or he's just lost that sort of 5% that contributes to 
you know concentration or whatever you want to call it in terms of not making the basic areas that we've seen over the last couple of seasons he's been immense for us and obviously the shame is that he's not been able to contribute to a better united side in that time you know he's been with us now for when it comes to this summer 10 years Mm. and in that time we've seen him develop from you know that spindly kid that was getting hammered all over the hawthorns to one of the best keepers in the you know the best keeper in the world at times you know the best shot stopper without doubt in the entire foot in, in the entire game and to see it sort of unravel like this to a degree I mean you, you know you can't keep those levels consistently going all the time and I do wonder if there's a bit of mental burnout from having to carry that defense for so long and obviously no, I completely agree with that yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it, it took us so long to get any sort of defensive stability and any sort of coherent centre-back partnership. And I'm still not sure we've necessarily nailed it with Maguire and Lindelof, but I certainly think we're closer than we've been for a little while. And for it to sort of fizzle out like this is disappointing. And it, it, it's sad, and especially, again, with not being able to potentially, if he does go this summer, say a proper goodbye. It's a disappointment. But he'll go with our love and our best wishes regardless. I think it's just one of those things where Solskjaer and the club look at the fact that he's on such a huge contract and can he really be trusted to deliver world-class performances week in, week out? And the brutal reality of that is probably not, no. And when it comes to Dean Henderson, I don't necessarily think you can realistically say we've had enough of a sample size to say, yes, he's absolutely the one that's going to replace David De Gea long-term and we don't need to invest in the transfer market and a new keeper. But he deserves an opportunity, right? Yeah. I don't think yeah. many United fans would begrudge him the chance to stake a claim as Manchester United's number one. And I think at the minute that is... is I think it's definitely a level of a risk going into next season with Henderson and Grant. I mean, Romero looks like he's on the way as well. So yeah. I do wonder if United longer term might think of investing in another goalkeeper depending on how well Henderson works out. But he doesn't lack the confidence, which is a key thing. And that's something that Manchester United goalkeepers, especially over... You know, like, well, I say Manchester United goalkeepers, that De Gea has certainly lacked over the last few seasons. He's never been a goalkeeper who really commands his box, has he, De Gea? And um, Henderson, I think... Look, it's probably partly because there's no there, there are no crowds, but I have noticed a lot more shouting from Henderson than, than I've noticed from De Gea. And it's a, it's a tiny little thing, really, but it is important. And, um, and also his distribution is, is, has been excellent. Uh, Henderson's and that's always been uh, a little bit of a, a weakness of De Gea's uh, and again when he was making world class saves you know every single match you could kind of forgive the poor distribution but when he's making mistakes and he's not distributing it well and he's not commanding his box that's when you I think you have to kind of sit up and say well you know is this guy really good enough to be at a club who, who've got ambitions to win titles and Unfortunately, it is so sad, but unfortunately, I don't feel he is anymore at that level. Right, well, going back to the game yesterday, uh, not necessarily a huge amount to talk about in that first half, or indeed the majority of the game. It was a weird one, wasn't it? I mean, Mason hits the post uh, with a really tight angled shot that I think it was very difficult to get past Sanchez uh, in the first half prior to Welbeck's goal. Obviously, it had to be in front of the Stretford end, and fair play to him, you know. Uh, a very popular member of United's team, uh, even, you know, even since his exit in 2014, I know a lot of United fans will be very happy to see him score that goal. Um, yeah. Well, maybe not happy, but at least content, shall we say. Um, uh, now, with, with the benefit of hindsight, knowing we won the game, I'm absolutely buzzing for him. <laughs> That's fair enough. Um, I mean, there wasn't necessarily a lot to pull apart from that first half performance. Otherwise, you know, as we said, you know, we, we definitely lost a bit of urgency and intensity after conceding that goal. 
the only real chance that I can recall was a Fernandez pull back to Pogba and he's just side footed it horrifically up and Put over. Put it all wrong, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Got his legs in the muddle. I mean, I guess at that stage, you know, they go in for the halftime break and Solskjaer's having a quick chat with them to try and ascertain how he can improve things. And there was a little bit more urgency about United coming into the early stages of that second half. But again, I mean, I think that second half proved, if we needed it proving, that United are remarkably good at exploiting space if you push high up the pitch and give us the option. But if you're able to stay compact and able to keep the marking up and able to stay disciplined... It'll be very difficult for us to create chances and score goals. You know, both of those goals came out of absolutely nothing. Yeah, it's true. Um, it's, it's it's always been a problem, hasn't it? Throughout really throughout Solskjaer's time, and you know, you think when you've got Bruno Fernandes and Paul Pogba on the pitch, it should be easier than that. And I do think that Cavani was was really poor yesterday. His movement, which is usually so good, was just nowhere to be seen. He didn't look interested. And so when you when you've got a striker who isn't really making the runs, it's difficult for players like Fernandez and Pogba to pick them out. So, and plus, I think, you know, there were you know, quite a few um, passes that were going astray from Bruno and Pogba. They played okay, but, you know, weren't sort of pulling any roots up or anything. At the beginning of the second half, we were quite pedestrian still. But as, as the half went on, I felt that we, we did start to probe a little bit more and we just kind of upped our level very, very slightly and did enough. Like I said earlier, we, we did enough and... and I thought the first goal came from a, from a Brighton mistake, didn't it? Really, the way that Bruno sort of waited and waited, drew two Brighton defenders towards him, creating space for Rashford. I thought was was excellent, and then Rashford's finish was just well, it was lovely, wasn't it? I honestly thought he'd undercooked it, but it is exquisite. Yeah, he, yeah well, <laughs> so yeah. I mean, nice. you look at the pace on the ball; he's not necessarily hit it with any great whack, but it's got such accuracy on it. It's driven across Sanchez, and I thought. You look at the replay, Sanchez is so close to getting to that, at least getting a fingertip on it, which pushes it wide and around the corner, so around the post. But it's such a lovely finish by Rashford there, just to get that that on a postage stamp, that one he area. He just caresses it, doesn't he? Oh, he did. He, he was very careful with that ball, very much enjoyed. And especially because Rashford you know, obviously wasn't available against Leicester towards uh, the, the end of the last chunk of games. And seeing him today go off with what looks like another potential injury after picking up a knock in a challenge. I don't think he's been right since his back injury last season. I really don't. I think he's he's not looked right since that. I mean, his, his numbers have been fantastic this season. And, and mm. I mean, the number of games he plays is, is utterly insane. But his overall performance... When you think about last season, for the first half of that season, before you know, prior to his back injury... He was absolutely electric. It really felt like kind of a breakthrough season. Not not breakthrough, because he already has breakthrough season, but you know what I mean, where, where he kind of announced himself as like a real world superstar. It, it felt like he was on the verge of that and then got a back injury and he still obviously played very, very well this season. But he's not reached those levels, I don't think, of first half of last season since that back injury. And I, and I, I just feel like he's carrying injuries constantly and never getting a rest ever no it doesn't look comfortable does he i he did there's there's not the i think the easy way to describe it is the fluidity that perhaps he had at, st- at stages last season and maybe he needs a couple more chances or a couple more flashes at goal in order to get the chance but you know you, you talk about that in terms of his numbers regardless 19 goals and 11 assists in all co- in all competitions is ridiculous considering how frequently he's had to come out of the side and how many knocks he's taken how many challenges he takes and 
given his general fitness at the minute because it doesn't take a layman to see that he doesn't look quite right. And, you know, if it, if it was up to me, I mean, you know, if it was up to me, the Euros probably wouldn't be happening regardless. But if it was up to me, I wouldn't be taking him for England. You know, obviously, I'm saying that as someone who's going to be supporting a completely different country in a couple of months. Time. <laughs> but still, um, it's just one of those situations where, you know, we talk about the fact that we've had this international break, this two week break to kind of get players recharged. But the actual important players, the Rashford's, the Pogba's, the Fernandez's, have not actually had much of a break, have they? You know, Rashford's been coming back from injury again. How much proper rest has he actually been able to have? Well, it's quite, it's, I mean, the whole situation's completely, it's almost obscene, isn't it, really, how much football these guys are being asked to play. I can completely understand why Ollie feels that he needs to play the likes of Fernandez and, and Rashford constantly, Maguire, but just from a purely, and it's not just Oli, by the way, I mean, yeah, just the whole the whole thing's just completely ridiculous. It's that it can't be healthy. It can't be good for these players, these guys. It's relentless. I mean, it's, I was, I, I didn't really watch any football over the international break because I was tired of it. I was kind of like worn out from it all because it's just back-to-back football. So how they must feel, I, I, you know, I can't really imagine and then, like you say, you've got the Euros, then another season, and then it's World Cup next season, isn't it? So It sure is. When are the these guys the ever going to get a rest? Um, never. No. Never. That, 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 that's, that's purely the thing. Like, Flog it's one of, Well, it's just, you know, we're speaking about Victor Lindelof, who, again, I thought had a decent game with Harry Maguire in the centre of defence. Lindelof was, again, pulled out of a game for Sweden, and he's had a long-standing back problem that we've heard plenty of in the last season. And obviously... I believe Sweden are going to be playing in the Euros this year as well. When's he going to get a break? I mean, that that sort of feeds into a larger problem when it comes to overwork and obviously the sanitation. So the sanitization of uh, football in terms of how interesting it's been to watch without fans has made periods where we're still watching football, despite there not necessarily being a great product to watch. Is definitely sort of combining into this blob at the minute where football's on but it's not necessarily that much fun and it's just there to kind of exist unless you're city and you're having fun because they are obviously so ruthlessly and annoyingly and brutally efficient anyway before we carry on with this game let's take a quick break we have a small favor to ask friends if you're enjoying the show please help spread the word leave a rating and a review on apple podcasts acast or any podcast app you use it's a small thing that helps shows like ours to move up podcast rankings and generate more listeners and it would be hugely appreciated Okay, working into the last sort of third of the game, Paul, after we had managed to find our equaliser, did you feel like United had really taken the game by the scruff of the neck after Rashford had scored? Yeah, I thought we we raised our level a little bit more after the goal. I don't think at any point we were kind of impatient or panicky, which I like like that. There was no need for us to sort of go all out and uh, leave space at the back. And I think Brighton did have one counter-attack where we got a little bit lucky, but... No, I thought we, we we were fine. We were quite mature about it, um, and obviously we we ended up getting the second goal. And at, at that point, I just felt that was done, you know. Whereas maybe in even just this season, there've been times where, you know, we've gone we've got in the lead with I don't know ten twenty minutes to go, and I've still been kind of nervous about it. You know, once we got that second goal, well, once we got the first goal, really, we, we kind of controlled the game. Brighton don't have that much going forward, so it was fairly plain sailing, really. Speaking as we were earlier on about sort of chance creation, United did have, I mean, they dominated possession, didn't they? And they gave away very, very few opportunities on the counter, apart from that one Welbeck opportunity where it looks like his studs have just gone into the, the turf and he's appealing for a penalty because he thinks Maguire's caught him. 
very quick wag of the finger from the United captain immediately. Yeah, lovely wag of the finger. Oh yeah, you love he to mu- see he that. He must practice that in front of the mirror, mustn't he? Because that was <laughs> that was textbook finger wagging from Maguire. That. Well, as uh, Harry Maguire pointing at things on Twitter proves, he's very good at, point- <laughs> at using it, utilizing his index finger, is he not? <laughs> I can't look at that game and necessarily say I felt hugely confident of United's ability to win it. And I think, I guess that's the thing with this team in particular. You know that at least they might create a half opportunity or something out of absolutely nowhere. And that's why you can't ever fully trust them, even when they're having a performance like this. Because you get moments like the Rashford goal where suddenly we're able to exploit space on a quick turnover. Or we'll get an opportunity again out of nowhere where you know we're managing to get Brighton on the back foot. And it's so difficult when you've got a team as... You don't even need to be well-drilled or particularly fantastic defensively. We saw that with Sheffield United. We had tons of possession and created very little against them when we lost to them at Old Trafford. And the game against Brighton, the goals come from us not letting Brighton get set and and exploiting the brief moments of space that we had. You know, it's the Bruno crossover to Pogba. Now, you would have loved to have seen him hit that first time, and I don't think that... I mean, it's a completely um, unintentional assist, but considering that Cavani had come off, and you mentioned his performance, and I'm in full agreement, I mean, is it potentially, if we're going to... I'm playing devil's advocate for a second, he's been making those runs a lot during the season when he has played, and given the... lethargy that was present amongst that United performance over the sort of hour he was playing I can't necessarily blame him too much for not looking for those runs because Martial does the same the, the, often the passes just aren't there because people aren't looking up they're looking to sort of spread it wide and there's very little opportunity for you to kind of run off that last defender because United don't open up the ball quickly enough yeah and they spread it wide too slowly don't they mm. it's all very well going from side to side but the whole point of doing that is it do it quickly, so you, you drag in the opposition out of out of position, kind of thing. And far too often we're just way too ponderous. Mm. Um, you watch the United teams of old under Fergie, or you watch the current City team, and it's all crisp, zippy passes. Whereas with United, it's all just a bit kind of like going for a stroll on a Sunday afternoon type thing. But yeah, I, th- I thought Greenwood's run was good. Uh, obviously, Pog wasn't intending for it to go to Greenwood, but Greenwood's got to be there to, to make that header. And I really like Greenwood up front. I think out of him, Rashford and Martial, he looks like the most natural striker to me. He always has. He'll obviously do his confidence the world of good. I think it's only two goals he scored in the Premier League, isn't it, this mm-hmm. season? But it's coming off the back of an, another goal recently. Martial being out, probably for most of the rest of the season. At first I was thinking, well, that that gives Cavani a real run in the team. And obviously he will get a lot of minutes now, but I also think it it, it could be a great opportunity to see uh, Greenwood playing in his preferred position up front, where I I just feel he's so much more effective um, than when when he's playing out out wide. Well, Greenwood is fantastic at drifting inside and just making enough space to hammer it towards goal and his finishing technique is fantastic and it's great that he has that weapon available to him but he's not a natural wide player and in particular you know it's so basic to say but he needs goals like the ones he scored yesterday right and the more predatory finishes the ones where he's in the right place at the right time and he's exploiting that space and running onto the ball and hoping that things are going to happen as opposed to you know essentially doing a lot of the the legwork himself you know and his finishing is so superb that he can score from outside the area or on the edge and you know we we've perhaps taken that for granted over the course of the last season because he was doing it so often when he was playing 
Yeah, I think it also opposition teams are onto him now, aren't they? They know he can do that. So as soon as he gets the ball in those positions, there's like two, three, four players closing him down. So it's made it, making it a hell of a lot more difficult to score those goals this season. Yeah, I mean, it was a very satisfying goal to score, wasn't it? And one of the interesting yeah. things that was pointed out by United Arena in particular was the fact that Van der Beek was running at several occasions in that point and pulling Brighton players towards him. And that yeah. exploited the space and made it so that Greenwood could actually get the goal you know he's, yeah. he's occupying people by rushing up I mean Van der Beek didn't really touch the ball at much of anything <laughs> in that sort of last 15 minutes and any time Dan James came on side note he seemed to either give it away or concede a free kick which is obviously not great in the final five minutes of that game but still <laughs> yeah Steve McManaman was talking about how how well the United substitutes had done what I'm thinking really <laughs> but then that's Steve McManaman so that's true. You know I love me a bit of Dan James, but no, that was not a, uh, a fantastic cameo performance at all, shall we say. <laughs> uh, but no, I appreciated Van der Beek's willingness to run and pull players towards him. And I think potentially we're going to see a bit more of that if he's going to play a bit more over the course of the next month or so. I'm not holding my breath on that front, but still. I think in context of what you know, United coming back from the international break, a lot of the key players that we needed to have good performances had still played a lot of minutes, so it's not like they had a rest. They didn't necessarily look particularly refreshed coming back after the no. latest batch of games. I think, especially as well, going behind as we did early on, I think it's just important to get the win. And I know it's really basic. I know it, it sounds like there's a, a reticence to refrain from chewing Solskjaer out, but from my perspective we still know that United struggle when it comes to building fluidity and consistent attacks and chance creation when we're dealing with a low block or deep line defence. You know, we know that uh, our midfield options could improve. You know, we know that Nemanja Matis isn't ideal and between Fred and McTominay, we have a good midfielder, but we still need an elite level number six potentially or a DM in order to take us on to the next level. We know all this. I think given where we're at right now, which is second position, 14 points up from where we were this time last year, I think it's just a case of taking it. And But I guess, you know, looking at the way the season has panned out, obviously with us being so far behind City and currently the best of the rest. And I was speaking about this with Rich a couple of weeks ago when it came to wondering about Solskjaer and his ongoing stewardship of the club. You know, Given that Solskjaer is two and a half years into his time as manager, it is to win potentially the Europa League this season, given that he's going into his third full season. How big do you think it could be to lift a trophy at the end of this year? We absolutely have to get to the final at the very least because you know, he gets another semi-final and lose that then it just becomes this huge issue. It's already a fairly big issue, you know, a semi-final team. But actually, I think Solskjaer himself and also this set of players, they need to lift a trophy. They absolutely need to. People talk about the fact that Van Gaal won the FA Cup, obviously Mourinho won the Europa League, and was it the League Cup he won? It sure was. Yeah, my mind went blank then. And obviously the Charity Shield. Or, you know, that was, that <laughs> oh, was yeah, the I mean, who can, who can forget? Absolutely. Um, but, you know, so obviously people are going to uh, mention that a lot, um, and fair enough. But I think, I, was, I mean, I, I sound like a broken record. I've said this so many times, but I see so much more going on at United now that I'm happy with than um, I did under Van Gaal, Mourinho, or obviously Moyes. We, we need a trophy, and we need a trophy almost, I think... Um, not just to get people off Solskjaer's back a bit, because I don't think they will get off his back, even if we do win a trophy. Um, people, A lot of people have made their minds up about Oli. They decided a long time ago that he wasn't good enough. And 
you know, until we win a Premier League title or Champions League or whatever, you know, nothing will be good enough. But for the sake of self-belief, for these players in particular, and for Solskjaer, a trophy needs to be won so that they start believing that they can win trophies, that they're not just, you know, a sort of nearly team. I see a lot of progress, I think, uh, in in this season, which has been so weird. There's, there's disappointment this season because I felt, you know, you look back and they've been... There's been there's been quite a lot of results that we, I, f- I feel we could have done more. You know, the, the Champions League exit was was incredibly frustrating. I thought we could have got through that group, probably against all the odds, really. When you when you looked at the group initially, the draw with Everton at home, the FA Cup, I, I you know whatever. I think I felt that I was just a bridge too far after, you know, the AC Milan match and and whatnot. But I think there's been progress, and we're second in the league. Yeah, we're miles off City, but. You know that city. They 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 they're probably I don't know six seven years ahead of us in terms of their uh, oh, sort of project, <laughs> if you like. I thought it'd be forty uh, by the time we're any good, Paul. Jesus Christ! No, but I mean, no. What I mean is they've had a project in place for years. We're what a couple of years into Solskjaer's way of doing things. He needs that little bit more time, but yeah, he needs a trophy. And I think the Europa League's extremely winnable this season oh yeah i mean i don't think there's any uh, doubt about that i think when it comes to i mean it's interesting that we talk about the fan base in general i mean the athletic they ran a survey of uh, premier league fans and asked how happy they were if their manager was going to be in charge this time next year united were 15th in terms of happiness with a score of 75.73 out of 100 uh, bottom of the table was newcastle with uh, spurs a little bit above them there <laughs> Uh, just to give you a rough idea, I mean, obviously that's just uh, the athletic polling, but at the same time, I think that's an interesting indication of where a lot of United fans' mindsets are at. It's not surprising though, is it, really? Well, one of the key things to note is that Solskjaer's now two and a half years, potentially by the time he gets the end of the season of his time yeah. as a Manchester United manager, and he hasn't won anything yet. And we have been in four semi-finals and got knocked out of all of them. Yes, we got a chance with the Europa League, but going into this next season now his third full season as manager we need to see I say we need to see because what we need to see as fans and overall coverage of Manchester United differs completely from what the board and the Glazers need to see from United really doesn't it you know our our ambitions do not match up but I think for a high level of support you need to see some sort of tangible level of progress and I think in particular going into this next season Yes, this year was a bit of a free hit given how much was going on and given the fact that we clearly didn't get what we wanted to get done in the transfer market. I feel like a title charge going deep into the season is becoming something of a necessity, right? I mean, we have been... We got closer to it this year in terms of actually being able to say, all right, here we are going into the final few months of the season close to the top of the table. But realistically, we fell well, well short. And there are things that we can definitely do with the current team to improve that. But I do think that there's definitely a step up that we need to take in terms of the players that we bring in in order to facilitate a proper title charge. I think for Solskjaer, we just need to see something big or at least something consistent before the majority of the fan base are actually going to give him the credit that you know people like yourself feel like he deserves and i don't know I'm, I'm i know it's typical for me to sort of sit in the middle to a degree but i personally feel like the europa league will go a long way if he can win it to yeah setting us up for a big season next year or at least giving us something to hold on to some tangible form of progress because if you look at the time that van Hal and Mourinho had in charge of united yes it ended badly but they at least had trophies to their name. Solskjaer's had longer than both of them pretty much in charge of United has not delivered one yet. And I think that's a big tick against him. 
but I, did, I, I would just say, I, I, I think um, Ole had a much bigger mess to clear up than Van Gaal did and than Mourinho did because he had those four or five years of those two being in charge to clear up as well as the Moyes, seven months or whatever it was. And Solskjaer himself said when he when he got the job um, on a permanent basis, he, he said this is going to be a three-year project. You know, I'm sure he said that it's going to be. You know, this isn't going to be a quick fix. There's big problems here. We need to get rid of a lot of a lot of players. We need to bring in players. We need to see progress every season. But you know, this this is going to take two three years. So for me, we're kind of on schedule in that we're improving every season. We do really badly need to win a trophy. Um, I think he knows that. I think Solskjaer knows will know that. But you know, he's also you, you mentioned the Glazers and Woodward. They're part of the, massive part of the problem, you know. And the, you know, Woodward seems to have bought into what Ollie's trying to do, which is great. But you know, we've we've got limited funds to spend every summer. So you know, we spent money last last summer on Donny Van der Beek, and it's not quite worked out this season. You can't afford to make those kind of mistakes in the in the transfer market if you can call it a mistake when you've got so little money to spend in the first place so I think given all the circumstances I think Ollie's done a pretty good job but you're absolutely right next season is the, is the big season we need to we might not necessarily need to win the title but we need to be there or thereabouts you know we need to have a, a proper title challenge not fizzling out in January and it, you know that 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 you know so-called title challenge that, we, that did fizzle out in January this season it felt like as soon as we got to the top of the league there was just this mental sort of block in a lot of the players and maybe in the manager as well where, you know, it's almost as if they started thinking, Ooh, you know, bloody hell, this, this is actually serious now. We're top of the league. I don't think we're good enough. We're not meant to be here. You know, this isn't part of the plan and that's a mental block. And it's same thing with the semi-finals last season. That's something that they need to get over and winning a trophy can give them that self-belief that they actually deserve to be you know, in the upper echelons of, of English football. Right, quick word on United Women before we round off for the evening. Uh, two matches for them since we last spoke to you. Uh, a really enjoyable 2-0 victory over Old Trafford over West Ham United. I mean, it was United Women's first game at Old Trafford and hopefully there'll be many more to come and this time, hopefully, with fans in them. It was a really nice occasion to see the team go out there and for the most part enjoy the game and you know the first half was pretty heavy going but then two goals from Lauren James and Kristen Press in the second half made it a pretty routine victory but unfortunately that was bookended by a 1-0 defeat ironically enough to Brighton and Hove Albion yesterday on the south coast Uh, it was a Kagman penalty in the first half that was enough and United again suffering with another injury with Lauren James having to come off in the first half it looks like it's killed the Champions League push completely now. You know, Arsenal are now above us with a game in hand and they need to drop points in two games and United have to win their remaining four to stand any chance of finishing third. It looks like, given the injuries to Tobin Heath, Kristen Press was out again yesterday, still missing Leslie Russo and Leah Goldson. We've lost a lot of productive players over the course of the last couple of months and it's really just come at a terrible time. That's five defeats now in seven league games. And it's just killed the momentum. It's uh, really disappointing. And I think potentially you might look at the way we were top of the table going in, you know, coming into the new year. And maybe it was a bit of a false stat given where United currently are on their level of development. But it's still bitterly disappointing to see us fizzle out at such a crucial stage of the season. Hopefully the FA Cup will provide us with a little bit of enjoyment when we return from this national duty, but uh, if we can't get a couple of players back, I'm not necessarily holding my breath. Ah, okay. Well, finishing off this next week, we've got two games coming up, including the visit to Granada on Thursday night and then the game against Jose Mourinho's Spurs on Sunday, Paul. How are you feeling? 
Yeah, Granada, you know, you absolutely you expect us to win that tie um, fairly comfortably, really. I mean, you've got to guard against complacency. But I think, as we've said, I think the Europa League has become a pretty important competition for us, particularly now looking at the, the, the Premier League table. Um, you expect us to finish in the top four pretty comfortably now. So, yeah, I'd expect to win that. And then just want to beat Mourinho. Um, <laughs> yeah, it'd be lovely, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, Granada are currently ninth in the Liga. They returned to action at the weekend with a 3-0 defeat to Villarreal. And they were, they've were they not necessarily been having a great time of things. So it's, yeah, 34 goals scored and 49 conceded. So, I mean, if United can't be getting through this tight with arguably the uh, least precarious draw in the quarterfinals, then we've got some problems. And as far as Spurs go at the weekend, I mean, I definitely feel a bit better about the prospect of going to North London after seeing them drop yet more points from a winning position at the weekend and the way in which Mourinho is obviously just applying his scorched earth policy. But it's, it's still Jose Mourinho. I, it, I mean, I get too much enjoyment out of it. I know there's a bit of schadenfreude, <laughs> but at the same time, but it's just it's just vindication, isn't it? At the fact that we weren't mad. We were seeing we're seeing this exact same scenario, this exact same narrative play out without the success. You know, we ha- at least we had the the League Cup and the Europa League at the end of that first season to sort of offset the bile of the following year and a half. You know, Spurs haven't even had that so far. You know, they've had no you know, spots where they've been decent and had a couple of decent results here and there, but They've had no success, and you know you would be surprised at the minute if they're able to get a result against Guardiola in that League Cup final. And not even that would paper over the cracks of what's going on there, purely because you can see Mourinho falling in record time. It's incredible, like his sort of uh, fall from grace. It's been almost Shakespearean, hasn't it? It's been like a Shakespearean tragedy or comedy, whichever way you want to look at it, really comedy to go from that guy that he was that he used to be he was so charismatic and and he still can be charismatic you know and there's a part of me that likes Jose Mourinho because of the theatre but god it's been, it's been fascinating to watch I mean you know where does he go from Spurs who would have him who would want him he'll find somewhere because he always does but he's he's completely spent isn't he he's 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 just done when you look at Mourinho in totality, he was clearly at this stage in terms of his development, trying to sell the dream of taking Spurs on to you know continue on the work that Pochettino was doing. And in the space of what, a year and a bit, it's turned into ostensibly a rebuild job. That's what Mourinho is now parroting as the narrative and the yeah. line. And the way that he switched that up and potentially got people to buy into the idea that Spurs needed it's gigantic amazing, clear though, it? Now, yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily think that Spurs don't need a massive clear out. But yeah. at the same time, I do think that the way that he's able to twist things around and not take proper responsibility is very indicative of a man who is done at the top level and who can't build a proper title winning team unless it's there set and ready for him. And it was interesting as well. Uh, Paul, I'm sorry, Richard was ch- chatting up in our group chat this week and saying that Luke Shaw was chatting to Kieran Dyer on Five Live. And he says that uh, one of the uh, things that was noted about Mourinho was that Mourinho was absolutely hammering Shaw Mm. to the point where he had to seek out external help for his mental health and appreciates that Solskjaer has had a bit more of a supportive approach. And that's obviously helped his form. I mean, who's surprised by that? Who was surprised by this man being so out of touch that his methods and his way of doing things is completely outdated and it's having a negative effect on the players around him? I mean, it's completely grim, isn't it? It's like, just from a human point of view, take all the football out of it, from a human point of view, it's absolutely 
unforgivable. He's basically bullied Luke Shaw, and mm. you look, you look at, you, you can see, like you say, Shaw's form this season has been absolutely incredible. So you can see the effect that he, it must have been having on him, mm. and he was doing it publicly as well. I mean, he was calling him out publicly, const, you know, constantly having a go at him in public, and I mean, yeah, outdated, and and the way he pits sort of sections of the fans against each other. It's fascinating to watch when it's happening at another club, but when it's at your own, it's so draining. I was so drained by it all. Oh, yeah. I mean, at least in this way, I can wrap up under a blanket and look at Twitter with a hot chocolate and just (laughs) feel a sense of warmth that it's not happening and a sense of space from it and distance. I mean, it's funny, isn't it, that we're talking about this Spurs game, which is actually quite important for our top four hopes in the sense, obviously, we've got a bit of a gap now opening up. But at the same time, it's key that we continue to pick up points, right? But we're not talking about Spurs players. We're talking about the manager because obviously he's having such a huge effect on what's going on on the pitch. Mostly for worse. You know, Harry Kane is still banging in goals and is having a great individual season, but that is not being mirrored by what's happening with the rest of the team. Not consistently anyway. And, you know, if we're going to look at tactically, I guess, you know, it will obviously play out a lot differently than what you hope it would from the 6-1 that we experienced at Old Trafford back at the start of the season. I mean, getting through that game in any way, shape or form is going to be the priority. I don't really care how we do it. A draw or a victory will be fine because Mm. whilst Mourinho is, to me, a spent force at the top level, I still back him to get the occasional result. And especially with it being United, you know, that's all the motivation he needs to put a spanner in the works, right? Absolutely. Yeah, he'll be absolutely desperate to to get one over in his own club. And it's actually really important for Spurs because, yeah, I, I agree with you. I can't see them beating City in the League Cup final. So that season's in danger of not just fizzling out, but just imploding completely. And a, a victory over United, you know, he could use that as a bit of a springboard to finish strongly. It's whether his players are really playing for him anymore, though. I mean, some of them probably will be, some of them won't. You know, it's like, again, he's pit, he pits people against each other. But yeah, of course we're talking about Mourinho and not, and not the Spurs player. That's what Mourinho does, isn't he? And, and he is box office in that respect, but... I think I agree with you. I'd take a draw, um, but it would be absolutely lovely to, to, to go there and win. It would be, considering that the last time we actually uh, beat Mourinho was the... Oh, gosh, it was December of 2019, Paul. A long time ago now. A hell of a long time ago. Well, it does feel like... feels like a, like a lifetime ago. ago. It does. It does indeed. And speaking of which, this this podcast has been going on for a lifetime, so let's cut it short. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Paul, pleasure as always, mate. Love you to have you back. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Guys, thank you so much for listening as well. But don't forget, you can get us all over Twitter in the meantime before you wait for our next episode. Should you so wish, you can get Paul at Paul Gunning one You can get me at you and like this and the podcast itself at Red Voices MUFC. And of course, the podcast can be found on iTunes on the Apple Podcast app. It can be found on Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, basically anywhere you can get a decent podcast. And if you do have the ability to rate or subscribe or leave a review, then please do so because it's hugely helpful for us. Right, have yourselves a superb week. We'll be back after Spurs next week. Take care. Bye. Bye.